بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم We continue the discussion on the hadith from Umdat al-Ahkam and we have reached hadith number 31 under the chapter of Ghusl of taking a bath and the hadith is عن عبد الله بن عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنهما أن عمر قال للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يا رسول الله أيرقد أحدنا وهو جنب قال نعم إذا توضأ أحدكم فليرقد عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله تعالى عنه كان anyone of us sleep while he is junub Yes, if he performs ablution. And <coughs> Junub is uh, the person upon whom taking a bath or ghusl is an obligation, whether it is due to sexual intercourse with the spouse or to ejaculation this is the meaning of junub this is the meaning of junub being in a state of sexual defilement the narrator of this hadith is Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and we gave a biography of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu in hadith number 13 earlier the subject of this hadith. The subject is the ruling, explaining the ruling on the sleep of the person who is in a state of janaba, in a state of sexual defilement. And now we know what is janaba and what is a junub. Now, the overall explanation, since sleep is a lesser death, and since Janaba is a greater ritual impurity, and so the person may die in a state of sleep while being in this major state of impurity. So if it is lightened by way of taking ablution, then that was that takes precedence instead of sleeping in a major state of impurity. So here, the leader of the believers, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, asked as to whether the person should go into sleep while in this state of major state of impurity. And this is his son, Abdullah bin Umar, relates from his father that he asked the Messenger, sallallahu about this matter, and he 
وسلم, made it clear that this is permissible if the person reduces the state from the greater state of impurity to the lesser one by way of taking ablution. The benefits of this hadith. First, the keenness of the Sahaba, the companions, to ask about things when they are, when there is a need for that, when there is a need for that. And when the companions ask and they are informed concerning the legal ruling, they will hasten to comply. In contrast to our state in these times where many, except the few whom Allah had mercy upon, who ask only for the sake of knowing with little, if any, compliance with the rulings. And this is a, an important difference. Another important difference is that when the Sahaba ask and they are given the ruling, they don't go into depth of asking whether this is an obligation or praiseworthy or recommended. They hasten to comply. They hasten to comply. In contrast to the state of many in our times who go, the first question after or when they raise, is this mandatory, is this praiseworthy, is this recommended, is this, is, is this, is this, etc. Now, the second point of benefit. The permissibility to sleep while in a state of sexual defilement or junub if the person makes wudu. wudu. Now, is this an obligation? Now, we can ask, is this an obligation or is this a recommendable matter? Some, there is ikhtilaf, there is, a there is difference of opinion about it. Some of the scholars consider this narration to indicate that it is an obligation. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا تَوَضَّ If he performs wudu. So therefore, he conditioned that this would be allowable and conditioned it with the if. And thus they concluded that this, what is understood is that if he does not perform the wudu, then in this case he should not go to sleep. The second opinion, and this is the opinion of the majority of the scholars, is that this is a praiseworthy and recommended matter. And they took as evidence is what is related by Imam Ahmad and Ahl-Sunan that he وسلم, used to sleep while in a state of sexual defilement in Janaba without touching water and that his action indicates that this is permissible that this is permissible a third opinion is that it is disliked to sleep while in a state of Janaba and the preponderating opinion is that it is mustahab, it is recommended to make wudu 
before sleeping in a state of sexual defilement to lighten that to the lesser degree. But the perfected state is that the person does not go, not go to sleep until he performs the ghusl, until he or she performs the ghusl, the bath, take the bath. So that the person sleeps uh, in a complete state of purification and purity. Because it may be that otherwise he may miss the fajr prayer if he wakes up uh, in a time close to the dawn break and then if he goes to make the ghusl he may miss the congregational prayer. And the wudu, the making wudu, lightens the janaba. This is another benefit. Lightens the state of sexual defilement. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ commanded that. And the companions used to make wudu, and they used to sleep while in the state of janaba in the masjid after making wudu. And the ritual impurities are two types, lesser and greater. The lesser is that which necessitates wudu. The lesser is that which necessitates wudu. And under the state of lesser impurity, lesser ritual impurity, the following matters or the following things are forbidden. Number one, to perform salah in this state. The second, touching the mushaf. And there is ikhtilaf in this matter. The third is <coughs> performing tawaf. Also there is ikhtilaf in this matter. Now, as to the a greater state of impurity, the first three plus the following. The first three plus the following. Staying in the masjid, staying in the mosque. However, if he performs wudu, then he may stay. The, this would be number four, therefore. And number five would be reciting the Quran. This is other than touching the mushaf. Because of the hadith of Ali that nothing prevented him from the Quran except the state of Janaba. These are the benefits of this hadith and then we move inshallah now to hadith number 32, the hadith of Umm Salama. An Ummi Salama radiyallahu ta'ala anha qalat Jaat Umm Sulaym imra'atu Abi Talha إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت يا رسول الله 
إن الله لا يستحيي من الحق فهل على المرأة من غسل إذا هي احتلمت قال نعم إذا هي رأت الماء إذا هي رأت الماء okay. So in this hadith Umm Salama radiyallahu ta'ala anha narrated Umm Salama may Allah be pleased with her Umm al-Mu'mineen the mother of the believers She said that جاءت أم سليم امرأة أبي طلحة أم سليم the wife of Abu Talha may Allah be pleased with all of them came to Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said O oh Allah's messenger verily Allah is not shy of telling the truth is it necessary for a woman to take a bath after she has a wet dream nocturnal sexual discharge or in a dream this is called ihtilam and ihtilam means to see herself in a sexual intercourse engaged in a sexual intercourse in the dream Allah's messenger وسلم, replied yes if she notices a discharge The narrator of this hadith, Ihtilam, Ihtilam, is Umm al-Mu'mineen, Umm Salama. Her name is Hind, bint Abi Umayya, Hudayfa ibn al-Mughira al-Qurashiyya, al-Makhzumiyya, radiyallahu anha. She accepted Islam early. She and her husband Abu Salama. And he Abu Salama was the son of the Prophet and and his brother from suckling. He died and left her. He died after the expedition of Uhud. And she used to love him and he is her cousin so she said after his death inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un to Allah we belong and to him we shall return Allahumma ajirni fi musibati wa khlifli khayran minha O Allah give me reward in my calamity and help me and give me better than that believing she said that believing in the saying of the Prophet وسلم, that whoever says this upon a calamity that befalls him then Allah will give him better and will reward him so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him gave her best the Prophet engaged Um Salama after she completed her waiting period after she completed her Idda and he married her 
in the fourth year after Hijrah. She was a woman of sound intellect and good thoughts and of true faith. She died in the year 62 after Hijrah and she was the last to die from the wives of the Prophet May Allah be pleased with all of them. This is Umm Salama's biography. She said that Umm Sulaim, and Umm Sulaim is Sahla bint Milhan al Ansariya. Umm Anas bin Malik, the mother of Anas bin Malik. She accepted Islam early with her people from the Ansar. So her husband became angry. Her husband Malik became angry. So he left to Asham area. And then he died there. Then Abu Talha asked for her hand. She said, In Aslamta tazawwajtuk wala uridu minka sadaqan ghayrahu. If you accept Islam, I will marry you. And I don't need any dowry other than that from you. And so he accepted Islam. <coughs> and her son, <coughs> Anas bin Malik, concluded the covenant for her. He married his mother to Abu Talha. May Allah be pleased with them all. And she also was a woman of sound judgment and intellect and very firm heart and of great etiquettes and deen. May Allah be pleased with her. Umm Sulaim, the wife of Abi Talha, and he, Abu Talha, is Zayd bin Sahl al-Ansari al-Khazraji from the great companions who attended the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud. And he gave in Sadaqah the most beloved property to him. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed his saying of three in mind in Al Imran Lantanalu al Birrahatta Tunfiku Mimma Tuhibun By no means shall you attain Al Bir piety and righteousness until you spend in Allah's cause of that which you love. And whatever of good you spend, Allah knows it well. So he gave the best of his property, most beloved to him, as a charity. May Allah be pleased with him. He died around 
the year 50 after Hijrah. He died around the year 50 after Hijrah. The subject of this hadith, explaining the ruling concerning ghusl, the bath, following ihtilam, following, following ihtilam, having a what dream, due to sexual intercourse, in a dream. The overall explanation, the overall explanation, Um al-Mu'mineen, Umm Salama, radiallahu anha, narrates from Umm Sulaym al-Ansariya, radiallahu ta'ala anha, that she came to the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam, asking him about the woman, if she sees herself in the dream having sexual intercourse. Is there ghusl upon her? Is she required to take a bath? This is a question which prevents many women to be explicit about. But because of the love of Um Sulaim to the knowledge and her eagerness to know the ruling so that she can worship Allah based on sound knowledge, she came and she expressed this explicitly. And she introduced some wording before that as a prelude for her, quote, excuse. When she said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَسْتَحْيِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ Allah is not shy, is not bashful when it comes to the truth. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not shy of this, so let us ask about the truth wherever it may be. And the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam answered here that when the woman goes through ihtilam, this dream, this type of dream, is that she must take a ghusl, a bath, with the condition that she sees the semen, that she sees the semen discharge, that she sees the semen discharge, the benefits of this hadith. First benefit, the merit of Um Sulaim, because of her keenness to have fiqh in the deen, understanding of the deen, and her good manner and etiquette of introducing the question and in seeking the knowledge. The second benefit, affirming the attribute of haya, bashfulness to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Since 
in this hadith, there is a negation that Allah is not shy concerning the truth, then this means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shy or is qualified with the attribute of bashfulness when it comes to other than that. And this is the creed of Ahlul Sunnah. This is the creed of Ahlul Sunnah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described with haya, with bashfulness. And this is a true and affirmed attribute to Allah. Affirmed in a way that fits His majesty. His bashfulness is not like ours. The difference between His bashfulness and ours is like the difference between His self and ours. So we affirm the attribute of bashfulness to Allah in the manner that suits His majesty and that it does not resemble the bashfulness of the created. And the Prophet affirmed the attribute of bashfulness to Allah when he said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ حَيِّيٌّ كَرِيمٌ Allah, verily, He is حَيِّي Bashful, Kareem, generous. يَسْتَحْيِي مِنْ عَبْدِهِ is shy. إِذَا رَفَعَ إِلَيْهِ يَدَيْهِ أَنْ يَرُدَّهُمَا صُفْرًا that he is shy to return the dua of the slave when he raises his hands to him, return them empty. So in this hadith, there is an affirmation that إِنَّ اللَّهَ حَيِّيٌّ كَرِيمٌ That Allah is حَيِّيٌّ bashful and generous. Now, if someone says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not to be described except in that which is perfect. So, is bashfulness an attribute of perfection? The answer is, yes, it is perfection. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-haya'u shu'batun min al-iman. Bashfulness is a branch of faith. And faith is perfection. And also in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّمَّا أَدْرَكَ النَّاسُ مِنْ كَلَامِ النُّبُوَّةِ الْأُولَىٰ إِذَا لَمْ تَسْتَحِي فَاصْمَعْ مَا شِئْتِ From the things which people comprehend from the words of Prophetic words, the first prophetic words of the past. إِذَا لَمْ تَسْتَحِي فَاصْمَعْ مَا إِذَا لَمْ تَسْتَحِي If you are not bashful or shy, then do whatever you wish. Meaning, the first meaning of this hadith is that the one who is not shy will do anything and will not care. This is one meaning. The second correct meaning of this hadith is well, if you intend to do something while there is nothing bashful 
or, or there is nothing shameful of doing it, then do it. And both meanings are correct. And both meanings are correct. So from this altogether we affirm that the attribute of perfection, the attribute of bashfulness is a is an affirmed attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that fits his majesty and it is perfection. Now if someone asks, is it from bashfulness that the person keeps silent about something from the religion which is a problematic which is problematic to him? The answer is no. This is not from bashfulness. This is not from bashfulness. This is cowardness and weak character. What's beautiful is that the person should ask about everything related to it, his deen, especially after the discontinuity of revelation, following the death of the Prophet ﷺ. So there is no revelation now to come, making this halal, making this haram, obligation or not obligated so let the people ask and not be shy yes of course if a matter it is, if someone is shy about explicitly stating the matter then let him give an indication however if it is a matter which must However, if it's a matter that requires explicitly so that it can be understood, then in this case, the person should do that. And if it is, if it, if it can be done in private, then there is no harm. But to turn that down when it is needed to be explicit about it and say that this is bashfulness? No. Because it is a duty bound upon the Muslim to ask the people of knowledge if they don't know. But asking the people of knowledge also has etiquettes and has manners. One should not go and check the same question to three or four people of knowledge in order to suit or seek an answer that fits his or her inclinations. This is forbidden because this would be a play. Ask those whom you trust their knowledge because they are reliable and they are known to have knowledge that is based upon the Quran and the Sunnah, the authentic one, in accordance, of course, the understanding of the early Muslims or the righteous predecessors, Rahimahumullah, and those who are known to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in what they say. The third benefit 
women have what dreams like men. The fourth benefit. Ihtilam, having these sweat dreams, without discharge, does not necessitate ghusl. Does not necessitate ghusl. Even if the person feels the enjoyment or the pleasure, but nothing is discharged, then there is no ghusl obligated upon the person, because the Prophet ﷺ restricted it if she sees the discharge. The fifth benefit, the woman and similarly the man, if she sees after awakening the remains of Janaba and he or she are certain that it is a semen discharge, then it is obligatory to take the bath even if they don't remember having a wet dream, having ihtilam. Because the Prophet ﷺ made the ruling center upon seeing the semen discharge. And therefore this necessitates that whenever the semen discharge is seen, then ghusl is obligated. The sixth benefit. Ghusl is not obligated if the due to the movement of the semen within as long as it is not discharged as long as it is not discharged and this is the preponderating opinion and this is the preponderating opinion again for the same reason in which the Prophet ﷺ restricted the obligation for taking the bath upon seeing the discharge and because the thing within is not considered anything in terms of the ruling you know our bodies are filled with urine and uh, feces and there is no ruling to take a bath because of their movement before they are discharged. So this for, therefore, this hadith indicates that if a person feels the movement of the semen because of a strong sexual desire, but nothing is discharged, then there is no ghusl upon him. No ghusl upon him. Does the same thing hold true with respect to the movement of menses?
the natural blood of menses, meaning if the woman feels the movement of menses, but there is no blood discharged, would the same ruling also apply? The preponderating opinion is yes. And now we can recognize the benefit of this. Take, for example, a woman who is fasting. She feels that her menses is moving on her before the sun sets. Before the sun sets. But there is no discharge until after the sun had set. So, according to this correct, according to this preponderating opinion, her fasting is correct, is valid, because there is no discharge except until after the sun has set. The seventh benefit, there is no obligation to take the bath when there is doubt. When there is doubt. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا رَأَتِ الْمَأْ If she sees, and he didn't say, if she um, thought it may be, but rather he said, if she sees. So therefore, if anyone awakes from his sleep and sees wetting, and he does not know whether this is due to sweating or urine or medi or other fluid or semen then there is no whistle upon him should he however is it obligatory upon him, however, to wash this wetting, this wet, wetting? The answer is yes. He washes this as a precaution. As to the whistle, to the bath, no. It is not mandatory. And the same holds whether this wetting was after a state of sleep in which there was sexual arousement or the like, it is no difference. There is no difference. As long as there is the doubt, then the origin and the principle is that it is not a certain matter. From the benefits of this hadith, 
and this is a great benefit, that the Islamic Sharia is based upon realities and not upon delusions and not about on doubt. So, this is a very important benefit, one of the great benefits of Islam, so that the person stays free of worries, unperplexed, and if this is not maintained, then he would live his life in delusion, endless delusions. However, in matters where the person is required to do certain things, and it becomes that it is most likely to him that he did it, then that is sufficient. And that's, that is sufficient. So, for example, if he doubts that he he, if he doubts whether he completed first uh, or completed seven rounds around the Kaaba or six. And it was most likely to him that it was seven. Then it is seven. Similarly in Salah, if he doubts whether he prayed three or four, however, what was most likely to him that it was four, then it is four. The difference between Salah and Tawaf, however, is that Salah requires sujood sahu in case of doubt, the sujood of forgetfulness in case of doubt. But in terms of Tawaf, there is no sujood in that case. What's important, therefore, is this, this is a ni'mah, a favor of Allah upon us, that the Sharia combats worries. And this is from the ease bestowed upon us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know from the hadith, about the person and this hadith is in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim and in Bukhari volume 1 hadith 139 about a person who imagined to have passed wind during Salah about the person who imagined to have passed wind during Salah Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said he should not leave his salah, his prayers unless he hears sound or smells something. This hadith has an additional narration from Muslim. The hadith we are talking about from Umdat al-Ahkam the hadith we are discussing, hadith number 32, there is an addition from the way of Muslim in the narration reported by Muslim 
when Om Salama asked, وَهَلْ يَكُونُ هَذَا Would this really take place? Meaning a woman going into uh, having semen in ihtilam and woman having semen discharged. She asked, And the Prophet ﷺ said, نعم, yes. فَمِنْ أَيْنَ يَكُونُ الشَّبَهِ He said, yes. Whence comes that similarity? Whence, whence comes that similarity? Exclamation. So, similarity of the of the child to his you know to his father or mother etc as we will discuss that's what the Prophet said in the answer so from this also here we have a benefit here the permissibility to check the things even with the great ones the similarity the, the permissibility to check things even with the great ones meaning Islam had given the freedom to check and search for the matter which one is possible to comprehend. It's possible to comprehend. When she said, would this really be, meaning concerning the discharge, she was addressing the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. So she was trying to check on that. How could this be? Would it really take place? So therefore, it is permissible to ask about these things which are possible to comprehend. Even ask those who are great. But asking about things which there is no way to know the how then this is wrong and this reminds us of the incident with Imam Malik may Allah's mercy be upon him concerning the one who asked about how the istiwa of Allah is how is the manner in which Allah arose over the throne so Imam Malik asked, answered him, anhu asking about the how is an innovation, because this is, cannot be comprehended. So Um Sulaim was asking to know of that which can be comprehended. Now. The next benefit, the humbleness of the Prophet ﷺ. Great humbleness. Here is his wife talking, asking, هَلْ يَكُونُ هَذَا Would this really be? And someone may think that she was objecting. No, we mentioned earlier that she wants just to discover and know. And if any one of us will think about himself now, if his wife 
asks him about these things. And then he tells her, do this and do that. And then if she says, how would this be possible? What would one of us say? This tells us of the great moral character of the Prophet and his great conduct. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take him in reality as our example in this and all of that. And to make us from those who reflect upon their shortcomings and errors in terms of their treatment to their... So when we learn these things and we come to know this is from the example of the Prophet and this is from his character. What is intended here is that we comply and we apply. Not just to have it like a theoretical knowledge. What would the benefit be? We should exert the effort, indeed, sincerely, and put our false pride aside, and train ourselves to be like our Prophet ﷺ. We will resume this because pound talk is going to go down. We'll resume this, inshallah ta'ala, shortly.